Good morning and welcome to Podcast Legends. It's been a while since we've done an episode, but this one, I'm going to just absolutely promise you right now, it's going to be worth the wait. We have no other on the line this morning, but Podfather himself, Mr. Adam Curry. Adam. Oh man, I don't, I don't know if I qualify as a legend, Todd. That's, uh, that's a little much, maybe. Well, I, I think uh, you created all the legends, if nothing else. I guess that's <laughs> that's even better, right? But in, oh, in the... I'd, love to, I'd love to take credit, <laughs> but I can't. Well, in the morning to you. Yes, in the morning to you, my good friend. <laughs> well, it's uh, I've been waiting a long time to uh, to say that, and anyone that is listening to Adam's current shows or any of his previous shows will understand the uh, the slogan. But Adam, you know, I think the you know having known you, oh my God, since maybe two thousand five, first met you probably. Sure, 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 yeah, right around, right around the beginning. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know, the story really get started back in 2004 and you know I, I I know the story but I think sometimes it gets a little bit construed with time so I think it's gonna this is just gonna be awesome to go back and and lay this down but let's let's go back to 2004 and then or maybe even 2003 when was the mindset of man I, I, this is this is something that can happen or I got to do something or what, what was the genesis well it actually started in 2000 this is a part of the story that is not well understood. Um, in, uh, let's see, around 2000, Dave Weiner had his software radio user land, and he was developing blogging. Sure. Which I think he totally deserves credit for. Absolutely. And along with that was RSS. And this little application he had, which ran on Macs and Windows at the time, was um, a... a a blogging tool, so it posted, you know, posts, obviously, reverse chronological order, but it also had an RSS feed, which Dave, of course, also pioneered. And built into the system was an, an aggregator. So you could, it was kind of a closed-loop system, which was really nice. You could uh, uh, publish and subscribe all in one interface. Uh, this, to me, was fascinating, this idea of subscribing. And in 2000, we had cable modems. And cable modems were being sold as uh, not bandwidth, but always on, if you remember. Mm -hmm. you, know, you no longer have to dial in. You don't have to. <laughs> you can just leave your computer on. None of, this, none of that. Thank God. Uh, it, it wasn't much better than, you know, what we today would call ADSL. Uh, but it was true. It was, it was always on. But when it came to media, and we just kind of had uh, MP3s were just kind of coming up a little bit. Uh, but I don't think we, I'm pretty sure we didn't have the iPod or it was on the way. Uh, we did have uh, QuickTime movie files, you know, but there was no flash. None of this was available. Right. And the problem was there was absolutely, and I come from an entertainment background, there was absolutely no experience. If you clicked on something, it would take a while for it to download. It would, I mean, quite a while. And then it would play and it would be like, you know, 30 seconds and highly disappointing. So I, I wrote a, a blog post called The Last Yard. It's somewhere out there. It's probably still on archive.org. And the concept that I had, and I was thinking video initially. The concept was just like uh, your television news report, 6 o'clock news. Um, it's live, but you know they'll, they'll pop to someone who's live on location. They come back, and then they may roll out a package. And although you're getting it at that moment, that took that package. You know, it took people uh, the whole day or weeks or maybe it was made months ago to create that. But you got it when it was ready and it was brought to you via your television and your newscast. So 
with the publish subscribe mechanism uh, in the back of my head, I thought, well, why don't we create something that is looking for a new media file? Now, it could be 100 megabytes, which, of course, would have taken you know hours and hours and hours to download back in 2000. When it saw something was new, it would start downloading it. In the background, it wouldn't tell you about it. And then when it had it completely loaded, it would go, oh, I have something. Click on me here. You click on it. Boom, you'd have an instant experience. It would be fantastic. No waiting. That would, I'm sorry? <laughs> no waiting. No waiting. That would solve the big problem of the time. Uh, so I went to, I flew to New York. Dave was in New York. I think he was living in San Francisco, uh, Northern California at the time. So we met in, uh, in New York and I tried to explain to him what I, what I wanted to do. And we weren't connecting. I think he certainly felt like, what is this TV douche doing or whatever? <laughs> um, I think he's pretty much admitted that later. So I went back the next day with his own software, which was a complete, is a complete scriptable environment. And I demonstrated what I wanted by, and I am not a developer by any means, by trying to show it in his code. And the light bulb went off. He said, okay, now I see what you're saying, but you may never, ever touch my software again because that was really sickening. So, okay, I got you. So he then created the enclosure element for RSS, which is the really the genesis of podcasting. And for several years, this was built into radio user land and we, you know, we do stuff from time to time. Like, oh, there's a, there's a great little movie. Uh, but it, again, it was mainly a quick time movies at the time. Um, and around 2002, 2003, uh, I saw my first iPod. And uh, the iPod also at the time was being sold as, ah, this is your digital Walkman. You can have your entire library in here. This is fantastic. It's a musical jukebox. I looked at it and went, radio receiver. That's what that is. And to me, it made perfect sense to now, of course, MP3s were, you know, we're out and we had the, we had the Napster craze and everything was happening. I said, well, this is great. Uh, now you can subscribe to my radio show. It's really radio by appointment. This will be, this is fantastic. So uh, publishing the feeds was no problem because we had radio user land for that. But of course you could even do it in a text editor if you wanted to. And um, uh, I created a, uh, actually Kevin Marks showed me how to do it. Kevin Marks is now at Google a little Apple script and the Apple script uh, would pull an RSS feed. And if it identified a new, uh, an, uh, a new item, it would check to see if there's an MP3, it would download it. Of course you had to have your iPod connected to your, to your Mac at the time. Then once it was downloaded, it would trigger off the synchronized feature <laughs> and it would put it on your iPod. So you pick it up in the morning or whenever and then, Oh, well look at this. Here's a new program. Click instant gratification. Um, now, of course, I knew that, again, I'm no developer. This Apple script was not going to work very well cross-platform and be a big deal. We had to have it, you know, and all it had to be universal. Um, so I started looking around for people who would be interested in this. And to get them interested, I started a podcast. Because I figured if, if we got developers, if there are people starting to say, hey, you know, uh, this is uh, this kind of cool. But I want to build a podcatcher. That was what we called it. That was right. the category. Yep. We had the iPod or Lemon guys, iPod or X. I mean, there was tons and tons. I can't even remember all the names. We had a little developer list. Um, it, it was extremely fun for me, especially because I said, look, I can't develop, but I know how to make radio shows and I can publish one every single day so that you guys can test against it. Because there's nothing worse than 
developing something with you know no content, uh, no real content to test it with. And we we ran into a lot of problems early on. You know, like um, if you you know, so the early podcatchers, you'd subscribe to somebody's feed, and then all of a sudden you'd be downloading a hundred episodes because <laughs> you know that functionality wasn't in there yet to say that's not a good idea. Right. And when you're only you know, when you only had 256 kilobits of bandwidth, that was a problem regardless. Um, and so I, I called it the daily source code. I was doing it daily. It was, I chose source code because that's what these guys are working in. And it became, you know, I'd be talking about what they were doing and, and ideas. And then of course, other people started making shows and I started promoting them, talking about them. And then um, we actually eventually uh, created a, a directory very much like about.com yep. at ipotter.org, which I think now is just a Chinese porn site. Um, <laughs> and we had directory managers in every country and they were, they would, you know, categorize different types of podcasts and that would all kind of roll up to the top of this top level node. And you could drill down and, you know, you could find podcasts and subscribe to them. Of course, we still were dealing with, um, some, what would I call it? I would almost religion about how it should work. You know, obviously a, a click and subscribe thing would have been great. Uh, but it initially turned into a little orange XML icon. Then it was a little orange, a uh, little red RSS icon. And then you had to copy that link and paste it in. So it was, that was very tedious. Um, and but that just kept going back and forth. Uh, I it was experimenting a lot with, uh, you know, creating shows on my, uh, on my computer and looking at software and trying to figure out how to, how to do it the best way. And, you know, all kinds of issues that, uh, hopefully solving now. Um, and then it must've been 2000. Well, it, it, we were getting heat. I mean, the BBC was calling, right. Hey, what's going on? This new radio stuff. What is happening? Uh, doing interviews. And, um, then 2004, five, I can't remember. Yeah. Before 2005, um, Steve jobs called would you like to meet with me? And I said, uh, and let me think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we met at the, uh, the D conference in San Diego and, and I've met a lot of people in my life then uh, up until jobs, Quincy Jones was the most impressive person. Uh, Steve jobs blew my mind and I sat for an hour and talked about all kinds of stuff. And he said, Hey, you know, I'd really like to put podcasting into iTunes. Is that okay with you? I said, yeah. He says, um, uh, what do we do about discovery? I said, well, I have this whole directory in OPML, which is a, you know, a format, it's a data format, XML format. So you can suck that right in, start, use that as a starter. Now, of course, he'd already baked everything in was just a formality, I guess, asking my, my approval because, you know, an hour later on stage, he announced that podcasting was baked into iTunes and it was very flattering about the process and about me. And it really took off and gave us a couple of good things and not so good things. The good thing was we had uh, visibility. We had a, a centralized uh, kind of subscription place. They came out with the iTunes sub subscribe buttons, which was a one-click experience. The downside of that, of course, is Apple was now in control of podcasting for those early days. And, um, and, and if I remember correctly, going back, the dev cycle, all these devs that were making these great apps, they kind of just like, it came to a halt. And not necessarily immediately, but pretty quickly, those those apps started dropping off. So I've always said that Apple was as a, much a help as a hindrance to the space in those oh, early absolutely. days. Oh, absolutely. And very disappointing is that they almost out of the gate really started promoting 
the mainstream repurposed mainstream content, right? Which you could expect because that's just the nature of the beast. And I have no problem with anything they did whatsoever. But yeah, it 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 totally killed development of other uh, podcatchers for sure. One thing that um, one thing yeah. that I remember is you know, and I think the thing that really blew me away was, and and, I, and to this day I don't remember how how I found the daily source code. I, I know I was in Texas. I had been hurt in an accident and earlier that year. And um, so I was basically babysitting some airplanes because of that injury. And I was still in the Navy and, and man, I hurt. It just like, I think I was like listening for 15 minutes and I was ready to go out the door and, and buy some gear because I'm like this, <laughs> this is something. It was like, I caught this bug. And in the early days, don't you think it was just like shows, literally exploded across the map because when people got it oh my god they got it with a with a fevered pitch oh yeah we, we were the darling everything everything was just popping open wide yeah. and radio was going to be reinvented and <laughs> i can tell you actually why it took so long for podcasting to come into its own if you want to speak of the you know the revival that everyone's writing about it's uh, it's a very it's very it's to funny. me very logical what happened and Go why ahead. it took so long, which I think is good. Oh, yeah, sure. Okay. So, it's been, what has it been now? 14, 15 years? It's been a long time. Well, it's, you know, at least 13 for me. So, probably, you know, right. yeah, 13, longer for you. Years. Yeah. So, now we're around 2005 to uh, mid-2005. Sure. I start Podshow in uh, San Francisco. And, you know, we're focused on content. Not so much on the technology, more on the content. Uh, and yeah, again, we, we raised nice money and, you know, everything was kind of going very well. Then a competitor came on the scene and we were a little, a little bit wary of what they were going to do because we heard that these guys had an all-in-one solution that was built on Flash. And Flash, of course, you know, was all just about coming into its own as well. We didn't quite have the YouTube sensation, but it was there. And, you know, I don't, I don't know when the sale happened of, of YouTube to Google, but that we'll get to that in a minute. And so the rumor was these guys had a had a flash interface. It was a whole environment where you could publish, but also manage podcasts that you subscribe to and listen to. And again, we didn't really have, um, you know, the mobile experience then that we have today. And these guys came out and their stuff looked really good. Uh, they were self-funded. They had money to do it. And they... Uh, they really did one important thing. They changed the mindset from subscription, which at the time was problematic. I'd talk to people. They say, oh, I'd love to subscribe to a podcast, but it's unclear how much does that cost because I'm subscribing in <laughs> iTunes. And I, you, know, and it, you remember this, Todd. Yeah. You had to explain, no, no, subscription just means you're subscribed. It doesn't cost anything. But that was a tough thing for people to get over for a long time. A long time. So these guys changed it to follow. And I thought that was brilliant, follow. Um, now they couldn't make money. They they couldn't find uh, any way to really monetize this, but they had built a nice platform, and so they kind of shuttered it. And uh, do you know what company I'm talking about? Was it? Uh, oh boy, I forget their name. I'll tell you what it is. Odeo. That's right, Odeo. So Odeo shuttered, and they came back, and they came back as Twitter. So they had taken the, That's the, right. the their platform, they'd taken the subscription part, the follow meme, which was very good, mm -hmm. and they turned it into this little micro blogging site, and it took off like wildfire. 
um, you know, they were getting the attention, they were getting the money. And then of course it was just social media. Now, now podcasting immediately was back burner immediately. Cause this was something everybody could do. Uh, then of course, YouTube came on the scene. Now video was, you know, video and flash and, and MySpace and face bag and all this stuff. And it just exploded. <laughs> To me, what's interesting as we, and of course, podcasting continued to grow at a very, very slow pace, not with not a lot, you know, it, in fact, I would say that the media, uh, it's survived despite the media continuously disparaging it as, oh, some dudes in their pajamas in their basement talking into a microphone. Um, and, you know, that's very funny to say it that way. Uh, but, but uh, you know, it was the, all the focus on on social media and social media networks. To me, of interest is that now, you know, all these years, 10 years later, 12 years later, uh, Twitter still uh, can't monetize because, uh, you know, my mantra is you cannot monetize the network. If the network is open, if it's not a walled garden, it's not going to work that way. You cannot be uh, someone who makes money off of the network unless you unless you physically maintain the network, maybe. Uh, so that's just interesting to see that even though there was value created, perceived value, and people made a lot of money on it, Twitter's never turned a profit, and I don't expect them to. Um, now, we had some other great things going on with podcasting. Uh, well, first of all, more mainstream uh, people and organizations were using this for distribution, to their detriment, I think, ultimately. Um, but more and more mobile devices uh, came on board, uh, of course, we had the iPhone, and, you know, that was huge, and then the storage of MP3, and then, you know, eventually we got, little, to this day, I think probably only 5% of people know that there's an app on their iPhone that's called Podcasts. Uh, maybe it's a little bit more, but, you know, it, it's growing. And then, of course, we had something which was new, although not for people who are in the radio business, the concept of episodic serialized content the enter serial. I mean, you couldn't make it any better. Call it, call it that what it is. <laughs> and, um, and the format is, is enjoyable to people, but easy enough to get. Okay. Now I understand kind of how it works. And I think that's when we kind of went off to the races and, uh, looking at the landscape now where you see that if you look at traditional corporate radio, iHeart has $8 billion in dollars in debt. You know, they're trying to restructure some of it, but it's they're, all coming due. That's a problem. They're screwed. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> They're screwed. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, billion-dollar companies don't go out of business overnight. Right, right. But um, you know, the the result is too many commercials. Um, you know, restrictive. It's you know, they're, they're trying to do anything they can to to make money. And this wonderful kind of just free-for-all vibe, where you know, just has been growing, growing steadily, steadily, and is. You know, now that we have the experience translated to the car, because listening still is done in drive time when you're driving to work, when you're driving home from work. Now the experience is better with Bluetooth. Automobiles uh, have a lot more capability to connect your phone or actually do it themselves, which would be the next kind of the next step where, you know, it's all built into the automobile itself. It has its own connectivity. Maybe it's caching stuff. I mean, it's, that's all going to come. It's, it, you know, to me, that's, that's very obvious. And this is, I think this is a really good um, pivot, a, a good pivot point, which started with, with Serial. And now, you know, there's just more and more interest. And I think the, the, the offering of what you can listen to and the voices and the concepts and 
the the topics are you know incredibly enriching. One thing that attracted me to this from the beginning, and I've said this many times, I was a blogger before I was a podcaster, and I was a piss poor blogger. And I don't know if I'm that great of a podcaster yet, but what it did. <laughs> Uh, you're doing okay. Todd. What it what it did is it gave me the opportunity to basically flip the bird to the man. I you know I went to a conference. You know we we started raw voice and blueberry, and I had these grandiose ideas of some you know traditional uh, distribution methods. And uh, I was at a OTT conference, over the top conference for devices like the Roku and so forth. And there was a cable guy there, and you know the big thing at the time was a lot of podcasters were trying to figure out how to get on a cable so we could have a, you know, have some content there. Why we were thinking that, I don't know. And I asked, you know, I, you know, I raised my hand and asked this cable guy, I'm like, hey, what's it going to take for me to get a channel, you know, and uh, explain the situation. And, you know, he kind of smirkingly looked down upon me and he's like, yeah, five years and a million dollars. And, uh, you know, we might be able to talk. You know, and, and, and your lawyer for one, for one cable uh, station, <laughs> right? Exactly. right. Exactly. So you know, I'm just like, oh, that was but, stupid. Well, you make an excellent point because, of course, I'd been in. Well, I started it in pirate radio when I was young in the Netherlands and Amsterdam, and then you know, rose through corporate uh, broadcasting. Uh, obviously, the biggest being MTV and on radio, HTWHCZ in New York. I'd own syndicated uh, Adam Curry's top thirty hit list. Everybody. Um, which was, you know, great to do, but yeah, always the man. And I'm definitely not someone who is a rule follower and I would pretty much, if anything, my attitude towards broadcasting and the rules, uh, did not help me further my corporate career. That's, uh, and I think we see today, a lot of folks, uh, don't necessarily look at podcasting that way anymore. It's kind of funny because I, I often hear now, well, I'm going to do this to promote my business. I'm going to do this to promote myself. I'm going, and there are right. some purists out there. They're still doing content just for the audience, for the love of doing it. And, and, and whatever people's goals are, I don't care, to be honest with you. I just like to see that people are able to create content and and deliver it in the method that uh, uh, it, it was designed, you know, that you guys came up with in those early days. But I also, at the same time today, I get a little irritated. You know, we've seen audible come on for a little bit and supposedly quote unquote do podcasting. And then they went away for a number of years and now they're back and they say they're doing podcasting, but they really are not. They don't even have an RSS feed for their stuff. So, but yet they call it podcast. And uh, didn't they, uh, didn't they say they were going to be the Netflix of podcasting? Wasn't that their initial uh, push or was that someone else? Yeah, I I think you're right. But so there's a lot of people that say things that they aren't. And, but in the, in the end, the Genesis really, or the, you know, if you go back and look at the content without an RSS feed, you're not a podcaster. And uh, and it's it, what's amazing is is that there's a lot of people that have dreams of changing that and making changes to RSS. But you know, Dave is a uh, uh, you know very much a protector of that dominion, and I think people are going to have a hard time making any changes to RSS down the road to suit a corporate interest. Let's talk a little what, bit. What what, uh, what corporate interest do you think uh, RSS needs? I have never really thought about that. Well, you know, it's, it's about control and, uh, okay, yeah. you, you know, going back and being able to, and it's also about the ability to, uh, you know, to spy on the audience at a deeper level. You know, all that is wanted, and uh, I think that 
just based on what we already know already. We have enough information on our audiences because we know who our audiences is. So at least the producers do. Maybe the yes. suits don't. Yes. <laughs> but I, I also want to talk just a little bit about Podshow. You know, that was uh, in the early days. I think my opinion, you know, I liked what you guys did at Podshow with, I think at the time, one particular concern I had, and, and, I, and I probably marketed this against you guys, was you don't have to, why do you have to, you guys sign contracts. You guys went traditional model and made people sign basically to be part of the network. Was that a mistake or was that good strategy at the time? Uh, I'd like to say on uh, along with that that we signed and we paid them a right, salary. Right, right, right. Paid. That's you true. Know, they were making money for making their content, and it was our job to go and make money off of their content. A right. very traditional model. Yeah. In hindsight, I've I'd never done gone a venture capital route. I you know I've started companies in my in my spare bedroom, uh, in my car. You know all kinds of things. You make a little money. You hire some more people. But the venture capital route, and I also took a company public, so I'd done pretty much everything as an entrepreneur, but I'd never done the Silicon Valley route. I think from the beginning it was a mistake, um, and mainly because they wanted, that, no, they uh, demanded that the company be in San Francisco, not the hotbed of entertainment. Right. Uh, so I think that was a mistake. the The mistake I personally made was the I the my belief that we could modify advertising to make it work. And this is where host endorsements came from. Then we had a, a very good little engine that was working quite well with host endorsements in particular. But as it moved along, um, a number of things started to happen, uh, really in the advertising world itself. So it's still based on you know, impressions one way or the other. Um, of course, we to this day don't really have an industry standard metric of how many downloads, what was listened to. I, mean, I don't know if we need to go into all of that, but we have no actual Nielsen ratings. Then the Nielsen's, of course, a bull crap, but it's a belief system and it works. So everyone's okay with that. Um, but it, advertising just really didn't want to understand, you know, we, we ran into, uh, it has to be brand safe <laughs> content. That argument is still taking place today. It does. With advertising on YouTube, you know, and advertisers are pulling out. Um, so I thought, I think really that was the, the flaw. What we certainly did is we signed people to contract and we paid them. Right. Uh, I don't think there's anybody out there saying I got screwed. I didn't get paid. Maybe it didn't happen the way everybody wanted to. Um, but we definitely had people, you know, under contract. We helped them set up their own LLCs, so they were their own entertainment enterprises. We really did a lot with old world thinking, but I saw no real reason um, because we had already chosen our our way to make money, and that was through advertising. And then what you get eventually is that just turns into a scammy business. Then and, and advertising online, in my mind personally, is is scammy. Yeah, you know, uh, every outfit I know, you know, when it comes time to report numbers, that you know they're buying clicks. As you know, just, I, I had no interest in that because what it what it came down to was almost arbitrage. So we'll sell uh, our audience. Of course, we were selling the audience, and we didn't respect them. Just like, hey, you're an audience. Good, we're going to monetize you. And we would, uh, you know, so for every thousand people who saw or heard an ad, we'd get. Seven dollars, mm -hmm. and 
we'd, we'd make that for $3, <laughs> right? you see, and then you had $2 profit. And the result is you start to make a lot of really low quality stuff. At this point, we're also doing video because that was also a demand. Like, oh, you're not in, and again, social media was taking off. So we were, we were really on a slow downturn the whole time. And after, gosh, I don't know, man, must've been five or six years. I just couldn't take it anymore. So I, I left my own company. I just, I just could not stand it. I didn't want to be in that business. Uh, I, I, you know, I stopped taking a salary, you know, so never made a dime off of it. Otherwise no one did. Um, so in hindsight, got caught up in a lot of excitement. It may have turned out differently if the social networks hadn't popped at that time. But I think the, the fundamental concept of what advertising is in that model, it was not scalable. And this is where I really, you know, came up with my own analysis is, you really can't monetize the network this way. This is not the way to do it. And that's when, because uh, I, of course, uh, John C. Dvorak and I had been uh, working together at Podshow, and this is, you know, around the time when we started No Agenda. The best podcast in the universe. It's a fact, <laughs> twice a week. And we, um, and yeah, we, it was really just a phone call between two guys. I was in London half the time. And, you know, so when I was in London, we were calling each other on Skype anyway, just, reading through stuff and maybe 20 minutes. We were just talking and said, Hey, why don't we record this? Okay. And recorded it. And then we, you know, we came, well, this is about nothing. So we'll just call it no agenda. We're just yapping away. And, and for me, it was a very exciting time. This was the European union, uh, had the Lisbon treaty, which had been voted down by the French and by the Dutch. And there was a do over and like, Oh, we don't like your vote, vote again. And they were talking about, Oh, this is it's great. There'll be no borders. It'll be fabulous. Of course, that is now one of the biggest problems of the European Union is the Schengen zone where we have migrants just flooding through the country. It's a huge issue. And, and I read it because it was online now. You could read all this stuff. Like, oh, my God. But they're talking about stuff on television. It's very different from what's in the actual documents of the of the Lisbon Treaty, and which, which I have a penchant for looking at stuff like that. I enjoy it. And we started talking about that. And then it kind of started to become work. And uh, John and I said, well, why don't we just tell people they got to send us money if they want us to do this? That's literally all it was. They send us some money, otherwise we're not going to do this. And send, people started sending money. Send us your cash. Yeah. No blankets <laughs> or water. Just send us your cash. Exactly. <laughs> See, I, I wasn't prepared, Todd. If I had been completely prepared, I would have uh, rolled it out for you. Here we go. We just need cash. I know a lot of people want to send blankets or water. Just send your cash. There you go. And then uh, uh, that just started to grow. And then from that, we developed what we call the value for value model, which is really that came from our pitch. And our pitch to the listeners was, you're not a listener. You're not cannon fodder. You're not here for us to, to monetize. You're producing this show and you can do this in a number of ways. You can help us with information, with artistic qualities, but we also need money because we have bills to pay. So if you went to the movie theater and you took a date and you saw a movie and you had a Coke and some popcorn, 40, 50 bucks, something like that, you know, it starts to add up. So two hours in a dark room with otherwise strangers, how was the last hour and a half for you at the time? We had much shorter shows. Right. Was that worth $50, $20, whatever is worth to you, send that to us. And this was the big, and first of all, it's very difficult for a mainstream artist of any kind, I think. It was hard for me. It didn't take long, but 
to switch from here I am presenting this to you to, um, hey, uh, you got to send me money because it feels bad. And like, I'm not begging for money. What am I doing here? This is very odd. But when you put in the context of value, guess what? If you say, hey, send me $5, people will send you $5. If you say, send me whatever you think this was worth, all of a sudden 50 shows up and 150 and, a thousand. and more. Yeah. Not always. Some people right. send 50 cents. Right. But that's the value they assign to it. And as that grew, and I remember quite distinctly, I was in New York and I was, you know, I can't remember what I was doing, but I was, John called and said, okay, I think we have a tipping point because we now just made a thousand dollars for one show. Like, holy crap, really? And at that point, uh, we both, but I, I said, you know what? I'm diving in full time. I sold, I had a Cessna 182. I sold my airplane. <laughs> I did everything, you know, moved to Texas where it's tax free, did everything I could. Uh, uh, to really skate along that, you know, the poverty line to be able to, to, to bring it into fruition. And, and our show by definition, not by definition, our show is a hard sell. You know, it's not going to mm-hmm. be for everybody. And even people who really like it now, sometimes it takes them a while to get into it. Uh, so it's been a very slow path to growth, but it's been very consistent. And now we're, we have 922 episodes we've done. We're in our 10th year. And, uh, John and I can provide for two families and we do all the work ourselves. I mean, everything, although we have great, you know, producers who support us with technological help, uh, keeping the servers running, uh, doing, you know, obviously all the things that, you know, artwork and information and clips and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, but the money is also a way that people have continuously supported it. And we've really left it open to them. Send us what you want. And by the way, every show we thank people, we tell them how much they donated. Yep. Uh, it's a, it's pretty transparent. It absolutely is. You know, you got a lot of people right now sitting on the edge of their seat because you have successfully monetized your show in a way that a lot of podcasters wish they could. And they have huge challenges in making that happen. So what is the, and I know it's a value for value. That's what you you pitch every episode. What yep. is that the key for these podcasters that are having trouble monetizing through their audience? No, honestly, the key is you have to have an outstanding product. And I'd say 98% of what's out there is crap. That's true. Now that doesn't mean that it can't be an outstanding product for a small group. This is the real trick that so we have a pretty broad audience because of the, the, the product that we deliver. And it's, a, we, we consider, we consider it a product. We're very critical about what we do. We, uh, although we never prepare together and we, you know, we have a format that is very unique to us. You better believe that we evaluate all the time what's going on. How do we do? Because who's in charge? Ultimately the people who are producing the show. And that's mm-hmm. not just us. Mm-hmm. That is the actual producer. We don't have listeners. We have producers. And, um, you know, we have continuously honed our, our product, but you can have, and as long as you have an, it has, again, it has to be outstanding. It has to be really good. And if you have 10 people, if it's really, really good, they might give you a hundred bucks each a month. Right. You know, that's what, that's the way you got to look at it. If you're looking for, I'm going to have millions of people. This is why I don't give a crap. I don't care how many downloads. I don't know, but I have no idea how many people listen. I have no idea how many downloads we have. I do know what the bandwidth bill is, um, but it, other, other than that, have no. I, I don't. I don't have to have any meetings about it. I don't care. 
Right. I don't care. We, we had five years ago, half the amount of people. We were still doing okay because, you know, those people found enough value in it. You know, whereas I uh, went the other route and I'm beholden to sponsors and, you know, we have to look at every show that we put on an ad buy. I have to go through that stuff that you don't. You can say whatever the hell you want and you don't have to worry about a, a, a sponsor calling and say, well, we're, we're canceling because that was just over the top. Right. You don't have to worry about that. Um, no, we, well, you know, people do. They quit the show directly and they can stop <laughs> listening and stop, right. and stop uh, uh, supporting us financially. Right. And that, of course that happens. Of yeah. course it does. Yeah. Uh, but for every you know, every person that goes away, there may be two new ones that come in and who say, "Hey, this is kind of good. I I like. To, I want to participate in this." Mm-hmm. It, it's it's a it's real, and 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 we have some other things that are extremely important, uh, which is just basic marketing stuff. We do a newsletter every day, the day before a show. We do it twice a week on Thursdays and Sundays. So Saturday and on Wednesday, we send out a newsletter talking about you know what's coming up in the show. Um, of course, it's a reminder. We need you to support us. And guess what? People do. Yep. Um, for my money, personally, having been in corporate media most of my life, I would never want to go back. It's understandable. And, you, and the best thing is you don't have to answer to nobody. No meetings. It's so, you know, like, like you and John always talk, you laugh. We, yeah, we had a meeting. That meeting was about 30 seconds, not like this. That's by PowerPoint. Like, <laughs> For instance, Daily Source Code, which I haven't done an episode in oh, two years, I guess, maybe longer. I never made any money off of that. But no one would ever send me money for that. I said, mm-hmm. hey, send me some money. I'll do another show. No one sends me money. <laughs> so either it's not an outstanding product. They don't care enough. But, you know, hey, you're not going to give me value? Well, why would I do that? Well, and I, believe me, people are like, please do another show. I said, well, why don't you send me $500 and I'll do another show? Everyone, every podcaster in existence should write you a check just thanking you for the existence of this space. <laughs> yeah, I'd do another <laughs> you, show. Though. You should I'd get a re- royalty. Everybody wrote me a check, I'd do another show. <laughs> one thing it's kind of... I, I don't expect that. One thing is kind of funny is, you know, I do monitor stats, unlike you. Would you believe some of those original applications that consume podcasts are still being still, used? Still out there. I bet you they're still out there. They sure. are. People are still using them. And, we, and it's small numbers, 10, 15, 20, but I'm always amazed. I'm like, man, that app has been sure. around since 2005. Holy cow. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. yeah. And but, well, that also is a, is a, a testament to RSS uh, right. and its uh, robustness. And this as a, as a format, as a protocol, it's fantastic. One thing I, you know, I've, I've been tr- reaching out to, to Dave Weiner a lot and Dave, you know, Dave is Dave and, uh, I doubt I will ever get him on here. What, and I don't, I know you can't speak for Dave, but what, what would Dave, what do you think Dave would say about the podcasting space today or? Well, I haven't spoken to Dave in quite a while, but I know what his mission, his mission from day one has been, he wants to be in the news business. He considers um, the RSS, a news delivery mechanism, which of course it can be used for that. Um, just look at scripting.com. He wants to change the New York times. Mm-hmm. He wants to change, uh, NPR. He wants to change PBS. He's always talking to the big and whether they're nonprofit or not, <laughs> NPR is corporate. Uh, he always wants to do that. And of course he keeps banging up against the wall because that's not the nature of that beast. They will never relinquish any control they have over their their closed loop. 
you know, the, they like the closed loop system um, and they don't want people to be, you know, uh, uh, sources go direct is one of his main mantras. So someone who actually knows about aviation could contribute to the New York Times and say, well, here's what probably happened with that incident. But they're not going to do that. I don't see it. I do not see that happening. And so that's what his focus has been in the first podcast he did with Chris Lydon was, you know, uh, an NPR derivative um, of a, you know, kind of a, a newsy type corporate show. And that just doesn't interest me. Right. You know, uh, and, you know, I often will tell people, you know, that you and Dave are truly the pod fathers in space. And I get people looking at me kind of funny when I say that because, you know, people know you more than they know Dave. But, you know, as time goes on, uh, and I think it's important, and this was the goal of this show, was to be able to make people understand where we came from. And, you know, I, I, I just remember the first time I synced, and it wasn't even an iPod, and I've got it sitting right here. It's one of those, oh, what the hell is the name of this thing? It's a uh, iRiver. iRiver. I got an iRiver right here. And and I have that on the shelf here to remind myself that this. I have the iRiver. Um, hold on. What model number was this? This is the, it's, it's, it's uh, the IFP 799. I've got the 790. So I think it's got a whopping <laughs> 256 megs of storage. Yeah. Woo. Yes. And, you know, so I was syncing to this device, not an iPod. In the early days, and for me to walk yeah. to the walk to the car, and not have to listen to the blab crap on radio, and be able to tune into something, I, that to me was like, and that's still today, even though now we just, you know, we just either we go to the, you know, take our mobile device to the car or wherever we're at, and we click play, and it's there, you know. So um, that to me is still the genesis of this community, gives the power to listen to what I want to, and. And, and be able to uh, flip the bird to the to the corporate be entities out there. But the corporate guys are starting to, you know, they're, they're getting ready to join. Well, they are joining the party. and uh, But many of them, as you have said or indicated, they're following that traditional corporate uh, model. And a lot of the, the teams come out of NPR or, or those types of communities on the East Coast. But many of those folks that are leading those companies have never, ever, created a podcast and i think that until you do and you and you have to do the battle to build an audience and develop your skills behind the mic and everything else you'll never really fully understand what it takes to be a podcaster oh, or and creating any kind of media but i mean i i come from big content creation companies and i know what goes into it i know what it costs i don't steal movies <laughs> There's no way I'll right, do it. Right. I don't steal TV shows. Right. You know, people are, have no idea what goes into it, the the development, the risk, et cetera. Uh, but I'm happy to pay, uh, you know, like Amazon, I like a lot. I don't have to subscribe to a channel. I just say, okay, here's my $1.99 or my $2.99. I'll watch an episode. I, I think that is fair, uh, certainly at scale. You right. know, so, so they can make money and uh, it's, just, it's just a different model. That's right. Well, you've got a something new coming, and um, I, I'm excited about this. You know, before we get into it, let me just tell you, my mom, who's a douchebag, 
Uh, <laughs> well, the, as in she hasn't donated. I'm sure moms are not douchebags. So, uh, in someone that if you don't listen to agenda, you don't understand the meaning of that. So don't take it the wrong way, audience. You just Hold have. On, to- let me deduce your mom right away. You've been deduced. All right. Okay. She's good to go now. She's all good. She's all good. So. She is excited about your small batch audio about the pro podcast. Really? She says, I'm going to order one. And I'm like, really? Really? She's, Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. I'm That is <laughs> that's very nice. It, you know, her and I did a podcast after my dad died. And for us, it was a um, it was almost therapy because we got, you to- know, but when, when my mom died, I did a podcast. Uh, if you remember that, uh, I did a spe- special daily source code. And yeah, and to this day, I, I'm still in contact with people who mm-hmm. listen to that show. Yep. And, uh, and, you know, when, whenever they see a butterfly, because I mentioned that was something my mom was into, people will say, oh, I saw a butterfly. I was thinking of your mom. And now we're talking 10, 12 years later. Right. So, yeah. OK, I totally get it. Well, that's that's yeah. lovely. So let's let's talk about the the podcaster pro and, and what because, you, you know, I, I've already I've been talking about it. A lot of people don't fully get what you're trying to do here. And I think that's. It's important for them to understand that if you're not familiar, we're you're producing an audio, basically an audio package. And let's I'll let you explain. It's better than me. Yeah. So the genesis of this goes back to those early days in 2003, four, five, when I was creating the daily source code. And of course, I know how to build a studio, a radio studio. I've done many and, you know, you can put it together. Typically, if, if you don't want to break the bank and get professional broadcast gear, uh, you're going to be stuck with gear that's made for musicians. And um, in order to do that, certainly at the time, but to this day, um, if you want to create so a radio studio, broadcast studio, you walk in, you put the headphones on, you talk into the microphone, and you immediately hear, I'm on the radio, mm-hmm. or I'm broadcasting, because you hear it in your headphones. You hear your voice, you hear the mix, you hear what people on the other side are hearing. This, in my opinion, has been and always should be the way that people create audio. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to be live. You can be recording it, but to just do it with the sound that you intend, particularly as a, as a producer. So if you're a guest, it's, you know, you're just a guest, but if you're the producer, you want to know exactly what those people are hearing the minute you're making it. So you can make your adjustments as necessary. Um, so of course I would have loved to have done this on my laptop. That would be perfect. Like, and I was pretty well known for doing the daily source code from anywhere and everywhere. I did it in, in my airplane. I did sound sightseeing tours, whatever I call them, sound seeing tours. You know, walking around with you know huge stereo, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, spatial separation to really give a a three D idea. You know, but all of that either required post-production, doing everything after the fact. So not really knowing if what I have is good enough because you can only use what you've got at that point. Uh, or lugging around, I have had all, I mean, for for years, over a decade, I've tried to put together portable solutions, suitcases, you know, uh, small little things I find on eBay and cobble them together because you need a couple of basics in order to make a sound. And what your sound is is up to you, but you need compressor limiter, you need uh, EQ, you need all these little processing devices, you know, you need a good uh, preamp for your microphone, just a whole bunch of very standard things, which you can buy typically in 19 inch rack format. And if you really put it all together, by the time you have figured out how to make a mix minus one on your mixing board, 
um, with Skype, you know, now you're, you're hundreds and maybe over a thousand dollars in if you really want it to sound good and it's not going to be very portable. Uh, I always thought this could be done in software. I was like, this would be great if we could, you know, there's all kinds of great software applications, but you can't because the latency is always just there if you're doing it in full software. And with latency, I mean, they have the headphones on, mm-hmm. you talk into the microphone and you hear your voice come back a fraction of a second later. Which throws, I've actually oh. done years of a show that way. Oh my God. How, how did you survive? You get used to it, but it's not optimal. <laughs> at all. So I was in, you know, maybe a quarter of a second delay mode, but it makes you talk a little bit like this sometimes <laughs> if the l- l- latency gets too bad. Right. Um, and uh, I think it was the last time I tried to put something together, which at that time I was calling, oh, here's the ultimate podcast device. And it was a, a Pelican case and I had you know, with foam and I put, I mean, you know, thing weighed about 15 pounds, <laughs> not handy at all. A bunch of wires all jumbled around and ground loops. And so I, I kind of just, you know, let that go for a bit. And, uh, you know, I've had my own studio and I have, you know, now gear has gotten much smaller. Uh, I was using universal audio, which is a, a great uh, zero latency device where you can buy all kinds of plugins that give you your compressor limiter and your noise gates and your EQ. But you know, by the time you have everything, you're at $2,000. So this right. is, this is a little cost prohibitive for, for most. Um, and I've moved to Texas. A couple of things happened. One, I'd, uh, I got into ham radio. So I was learning a lot. Of, you know, I, I have an amateur radio license. I was learning a lot about circuitry and digital signal processing. Cause that's how a lot of these new, uh, radio rigs work to really pull signals out of the ether, which are very, very faint. And you can process that with, with digital signal processing technology. And I thought to myself, I said, self, maybe if we reverse this, maybe we can use this digital DSP um, to create some kind of sound in a small package. And I started ordering chips and boards and, uh, you know, I, I divorced. So I had plenty of time to hang out in my bachelor pad, in my divorcee <laughs> pad and, uh, and work on stuff. And, and two guys had come into my life since I was in Texas. One is, uh, Gene Avtuliev. Gene is a, uh, he's the grand Duke. He's a, a super, uh, producer of the no agenda show. And he was living in Dallas at the time. He's a great Very guy. Interesting fellow. Sorry. Great guy. Very great. Yeah. And he had, his business card said, literally says legitimate businessman. You know, so I'm like, oh, I kind of like this guy. This is uh, an interesting guy. I uh, didn't quite know why he was in my life, but he's more like a business consultant for, uh, for companies. And Charlie Thompson, who's a retired chip designer. Uh, yeah. I think he must have 17 patents. He's worked at Silicon labs, you know, he's been, been the business for long. He's semi-retired, but we met through the show through no agenda. He's also a pilot and said, Hey, let's go fly. And he has a plane. So we, tootling around. And, uh, I said, maybe these guys are my life for this reason. I, you know, brought them over to the, to the house and look, this is the idea. Now, Charlie has a, a musician, he's a musician as well. He has a background in that. Um, Gene knows a lot about podcasting and business in general. And we decided to, um, see if there was a market and bring a device to people who already have podcasts, who, you know, already understand what they need, maybe looking for a uh, a better package, a smaller package, a more inexpensive package or less expensive package 
um, pre-configured with setting. I've spent my whole life coming up with settings so something sounds right. And we came all, 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 come across all these great ideas like, well, why don't we make a room tune feature where no matter what room you're in, it'll automatically set all the levels. And, you know, right now I'm on a noise gate. I think you're on a noise gate. Yep. Um, so it's actually, there's construction going on here in, in Austin. And you, when I'm talking, you may hear something faintly in the background, but when I stop talking, it's just silent. My windows and doors are open and the garbage truck just drove by. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and you know, so that requires a very fast noise gate, but doesn't cut off, but it fades and opens very fast. Um, so a lot of you know, R&D went into this and we said, okay, we think we can make it. And we learned a lot of amazing, and we've been at this for a year now. We've learned a lot of amazing things. I mean, first of all, USB just by itself was never really intended for streaming audio. And there's a lot of problems with USB, a lot. Um, so how do you make something that works for everybody? And we came up with a final design, which is a, the case will be about you know six by eight, so pretty small. Um, it'll have two microphone inputs, can also be used as line inputs, but each of those has a has, you know, the preamp, it has a, a noise gate, compressor limiter, EQ. Uh, then we have two audio devices, only one, you know, one USB cable. You plug it into your, any computer you want. Uh, it'll be recognized. One of them clearly labeled is for Skype. So you open up your Skype and you just select that audio device. It'll say small batch audio Skype in and out. And then the other one is just for your, for your computer itself. So now you can use any software you've been using. If you if you played jingles or clips or songs or whatever you've been using, you can continue to use that, whatever you're recording on on your PC, you can continue to use that. There'll be no load because it's all happening inside the box. We also put in the mix minus for Skype automatically. So you don't have to configure that, which sometimes is kind of a, I still have trouble sometimes figuring out how do we do that again? That's right. Depending on the mixer you're using, et cetera, it all kind of works a little bit differently. Also for the Skype, you know, John C. Dvorak has been on Skype with me for you know over a decade. I've made him sound pretty good. Uh, so that also has noise gate, compressor limiter, EQ. Then, uh, and we even have processing what we're sending back. So what, I, what you're hearing right now is processed. I can change that. If you're saying, you know, it's a little too boomy or whatever, I can fix, I can also monitor that to, to hear what you're hearing if you're on Skype. Then we have a, uh, a very soft compressor limiter as the end signal for, for your mix. And as I said, we have, you know, the output goes in your computer so you can record on anything you want. We also have a uh, an analog output right on the box itself. Uh, I like to have. Uh, I mean, this is meant for podcasters, so I, I knew what I was doing. I love to have my analog recorder plugged into the device in case the computer crashes mm -hmm. and I lose my file. I want to have a little backup running. Always run a backup. Could, yeah. Um, it. Uh, let's see. What am I? Did I have everything put in there? So you're going to package this oh, up. It, oh, go ahead. Well, it's, it's also, it's a menu-based, so it only has two knobs, you know, so you can, and it has a couple of soft push buttons, so mute buttons, or you can configure it to mute your microphone. Also, two headphone jacks with two separate headphone amplifiers. This does not happen very often on any system I've seen. And we've placed them, one on the left, one on the right, so you can have, um, you know, you can have your own, you know, the master mix, and then your guest uh, can have their own mix. And mm -hmm. if you want, they can adjust their own levels. You know, all of these little things that we thought about. Um, and the most important thing is we said, look, we, you know, we've got a little bit of time, so we're going to develop this. We'll put our own money into it. It's not a tremendous amount. You know, you're basically ordering chips from China and Taiwan and dealing with just 
your trial and error. And I, again, very, very interesting how complicated audio over USB turned out to be. Um, just from a protocol standpoint and from ordering stuff that is, you know, not 20 years old. It's really, right. really surprising to me. Um, we did not want to, certainly did not want to have venture capital, um, you know, didn't want to get any kind of angel investors. We said, why don't we just do a Kickstarter? We'll do everything. we got everything good to go. You know, by the time we're done, I'm sure we'll have spent five to seven, maybe $10,000 of our own money you know, for all the development and, you know, the Kickstarter is a very honest way of doing it. Um, all we need the Kickstarter for is to get an order big enough to place it. Yep. So, so if we get enough people ordering, then everyone gets a device and it'll be pretty quick. It won't be one of these two years later deals because we're just sitting here with a finger on the trigger. Now, you know, say, okay, we're good to go order and you have to come in with a sizable order and you can't do this, you know, oh, I want 10 this week. It's just not how these factories work to right. put stuff together. And right. it's all made in the USA, by the way, except nice. for the, some of the chips are just going to be, you know, obviously made in China. We don't uh, make chips the, in the United States anymore. <laughs> not really. Not, not the ones we need for no. sure. Um, and we're going to do a Kickstarter. It'll be $497. Um, and we'll have a whole bunch of, you know, packages. So people who are just starting out, um, you get the box and you have my settings right out of the box. So you can start there because it's a little, it's challenging. You know, it's not like I've never done this before and now I can configure a compressor limiter. You're going to, it takes time and study. You know, this is not, there is no, my first Sony of podcasting, mm -hmm. you know, you're just not going to, you're just going to be disappointed. You have to, and we'll have tutorials and there's a lot of stuff. And we really hope to enlist a lot of people like yourself, <laughs> Todd, um, who can help show people what this can do yeah, and how efficient it is, which I believe it to be. I mean, you haven't seen it yet, so you can't judge, uh, but I've already used it in its non-encased form uh, several times on my own show without people even really noticing. I mean, I noticed, you know, because I was probably configuring it on the fly, um, but I'm very excited about it because this is what I have always wanted. I've wanted this. And I know one thing, if, if, we don't have, if there's no market for it, if people don't want to buy it, that's okay, because I'll have one. Yeah. I'll have the hand-built one, that, you know, the prototype, and I'll be very, very happy with it. You know, uh, my goal yeah. when I started my show, Adam, and, and I spent a lot of money in my studio, I wanted good sound so I didn't have to do a lot of editing at the end. Got a family. I don't have time. You know, this, this is the problem. This is what really is sad to me. Because, and boy, you know, what a misstep. For all of these box makers, you know, Mackie, Behringer, yep. Sony, and it just goes on and on and on. No one ever took the time to say, what do podcasters mm -hmm. really need? Mm -hmm. you know, no. So I think there's a, a Tascam came out with something. It, it has the right form factor. You know, it, I think it does have some processing. I don't think it has noise gates. But, oh, look, the big feature is you can make your voice sound like a robot voice. Yeah, no, have you ever listened to a podcast, Tascam? That's not what people are interested in. They want to be able to talk to their friends on Skype and have it sound good. And because of all this problem, what, and I see that now in the response I'm getting, you know, because we have a newsletter and a website, smallbatch.audio. What I'm seeing is people saying, hey, uh, I do post-production. Post Will it work for that? And I say, well, not really, because this is intended to save you all that time. That's gone. So, yeah, because we didn't have the, the gear we needed, people were recording, 
you know, multi multi track. So Skype on one track, you're a guest on another track, music and effects on another track, and going back and mixing it. And maybe people really enjoy doing that, going back and mixing it and making the product after the fact. I just don't see the benefit. Um, I think it sounds better when you create it with the sound you want in mm -hmm. the first part. You can still edit stuff out. It's not like that's that function is gone. Okay, you can't edit your your one track because someone burped and you didn't want that in there. I personally don't care. I like it when I hear that stuff. But this is also the way it's been done since radio started. So this post-production stuff, it's to me is a time sink. It's a it's a waste of time. You never get something as great as when you record it all in one, you know, all processed and good to go out of the gate. I, I just have never seen that work that well. Well, you and, and I, the amount of work is just astounding. You and I are on the same page because it's a, uh, it's a, it's a life killer. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a killer of podcasts. I think people get so wrapped around the, let's make this sound good and do all this stuff that then five hours in, they're like, what am I doing? You know, and it, that long you think, uh, really, oh, uh, there are some problem. people that, edit for hours but anyway long story short this is going to be awesome i i think that uh do you know have you got a goal in mind on how many you need to sell have uh yeah we we need to sell at least a thousand wow wow if we don't sell a thousand then uh then you know it just won't be worth it right so if you know if we sell two thousand there will be a version two right um, now there's a lot of different markets that, that I think is very, um, that, you know, if, if we have, if we can get to the existing podcasters, uh, first yep. and there's enough of them, um, then there's other markets. I mean, the, the Godcasters, and I'm not just talking about people who do podcasts about religion. Um, there are entire, I mean, huge groups of people recording sermons, mm -hmm. Um, you know, and spending thousands and thousands of dollars doing it. Uh, I had a chat with uh, someone from ESPN. You know, they have all these local reporters for high school games and college games, and uh, and, and they, they contribute to ESPN.com, but their sound is atrocious. Right. And ESPN knows it. You know, we don't have anything we can send them. We'd like to send them something. Uh, so, you know, if it's successful, yeah, I'd love to be able to sell it on Amazon. It won't be for, it, it can't be for $497. It'll have to go closer to six. Yep. Um, just because of Amazon's, you know, 25% VIG. Right. Uh, but it'll still be better than anything, anything you can get. And you know, if we can, I mean, there's so much, I mean, the nice part about, although we don't have an, an, an updater app developed yet, you will be able to update your device when you have it. Um, you know, by flashing the, the, the ROM. Sure. Uh, so like in the first update, I already know what's coming is we have, I, and I have to say for someone who has looked out for this group of people throughout my entire broadcast career, I neglected to think about blind podcasters. Yep. Uh, so the, the, I just call them blind. They don't care. You know, I, I'm not going to be politically correct about, you know, poor seeing or anything like that. They all know me. <laughs> so they're blind and there's an issue if you have a menuing system that you can't see that's you know and it's there's no software to control it on your pc and all the all these podcasters use um you know screen readers mm -hmm. and they get accustomed to the software 
So I said, well, crap, the first update I do, and we've, lo- we've locked everything down. You know, we can't introduce anything new at this moment because we're just weeks away from the Kickstarter. Um, the first thing I'll do is I'll create a little voice prompt only in one, uh, like in the left ear of the master headphone. So when you switch menu items, you'll hear like, you know, main menu, microphone one, compressor, you know, 7 dB, 6 dB, 5 dB. We'll have a hot voice do it, by the way. It won't be mine. Um, you know, kind of like uh, like in an airplane, you know, where you have the 300 feet, 200 feet, right. pull up, pull up, you know, that. Not, it won't go in the main signal, just be in your ear. Yep. You know, so I have all these ideas. I mean, we'd like to have the next one with a big touch screen. You know, this, this, um, this, the, the, I believe it to be a, a very, very big and exciting market. But we'll see. <laughs> so for those we'll of, so those of you listening, please, please go over to smallbatch.audio. Get signed up for the newsletter so that you can be on top of this when this kicks off. And um, I hope that you'll – this is – hey, you want to uh, support – Well, you know you're getting the signature edition, right, Ty? You don't have to pay anything. You can use do – a, do a podcast with your mom. I'm sending you one. No charge. Please. Oh, no. I, want you, I, want, I want you to tell me if it's, if it's working right. That's what I need to know. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I want to make sure that we get 1,000 sold. So I'll buy one, and I'll give it to my kid. And if you want to send me one, that's great too. <laughs> you got a deal. You got a deal on that. You got a deal. All right. But to everyone else, uh, this is important. And uh, matter of fact, this is a great way to pay homage to the Podfather. I'm not trying to break your arm or anything here and uh, take you out back. But this is a this is a good way to uh, to step up and support. Um, but no, it's going to be a great product. So I'm I'm really really excited. And I know you know the production quality you've put into your show. And it, with that in mind alone, uh, I know this thing's going to be awesome. I've taken up a lot of your time already, Adam. One, just one last question: Where, where does the space go from here? Where does where 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 are we going for the next ten years? Hmm. Well, right now, we're I, th- I see an interesting pivot taking place, which is not necessarily with podcasting, but I'm seeing. Well, we have a number of issues, um, certainly in the United States, which is just a big market, so it's easy to talk about it. Um, but I think the internet experience that people have had for the past decade, uh, certainly when it comes to walled gardens, mm-hmm. are in the current um, um, I don't want to get too crackpotty on you, but I, I, I definitely think we have a split in, in dimensions and universe. You know people will look at the same information and one side goes, "Oh, those people are horrible. Oh, the other side goes, "That's great." Yep. Um, so, you know, this has not worked out very well in the social media world because people on one hand, they want to be in their own little worlds, uh, their own little echo chambers. Uh, you know, that's, uh, that's actually where you, once you trap them in there, it's very profitable. That's what Facebook is doing. Face, yeah. Um, then you look <laughs> at Twitter and, you know, people don't feel like they're protected from evil speech. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they you know, I think that they stay away from that. And what we've seen in the past few weeks is, I think, a pivot. Mastodon is what I'm referring to, where now we have this uh, free and open source software that emulates a social network, but gives the users complete control over what they're seeing, what they're doing, what they see. I mean, there's a whole bunch of, I mean, Dvorak and I are actually considering writing a small book about this. It's so interesting. 
And of course, what's great is, you know, what is lacking from this talk of or any actual examples of, of monetization mm-hmm. of, you know, of, uh, of advertising. It's non-existent uh, and it's not necessary because people have figured out, well, you know, we can have our own little social, our own little Twitter and well, my one buddy, he, you know, he knows how to set up a server. So, Hey, why don't we all kick in on a Patreon? We'll give him a couple hundred bucks a month and they'll keep, you'll keep the server running. This is all, this is Dave Weiner's vision, actually. That's the way it should be. And, and by the way, I think kids should be taught in school how to set up a server, a web server, maybe at least understand how an email server works because we're beholden to all of this stuff. And I think that's what people are seeing and they're tired of it. They're tired of either rules that don't exist or rules that do exist. And so now you can make your own rules and you can determine what you want to do. Doesn't mean we're not going to have, no one's going to be a Kardashian on the internet. You're not going to be a big superstar, um, you know, in, in, with advertising dollars flowing in. It's just not going to happen that way. So I see, certainly when it comes to podcasting, which has proven that it's, that it's here to stay and it's a very enjoyable um, type of content to consume very convenient ways. Uh, we're only going to see more and more and the rewards will come from people who are doing it to promote other businesses as a, you know, we have, um, Andrew Horowitz, uh, DH on plug. He's a great show money manager. Yeah. It's a very fun show. And of course, John C. Dvorak, um, does color commentary there. Uh, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, entertaining show. They don't make any money. You can send them money. They don't, they won't say, no, don't send this money. Um, but Horowitz has a money managing business and his clients listen to it. And, you know, so that's, it's complimentary to what he's doing already. Uh, and, and he likes it. He likes doing it. You don't have to do one just to promote your, your, your business. You got to do it because you like doing it and because you have something to communicate. You know, as always, if you're just getting into it for money or any other reasons like that, it's not going to work. So I, I hope, I really hope that it gets a hell of a lot worse everywhere online so it can get better. This I've, stuff has to blow up. You know, we have, Google has to blow up. Facebook has to blow up. Twitter is blowing up now. All of this stuff has to blow up. People will start to realize that it's just more fun over there. Right. I have a friend who uh, is a pretty, well, he, he does really well on YouTube. He probably makes a couple million dollars a year on YouTube. And he had an absolutely nuclear meltdown when you know all these advertisers pulled out of YouTube because they thought there was a um, you know all this stuff that was going on with the you know with what the mainstream media calls politically incorrect content, and I basically yeah, not, not brand safe, right? And I told him, I said, uh, "Told you so," and he's yeah, like, you're, well, "Yeah, you're beholden to uh, you're right. beholden to someone else." So that's why I've always said, "Own your brand, own your IP, own your stack." You know, you can monetize however you want, but don't let uh, someone else control your platform and. Uh, that's well, what's pod- interesting. What's interesting with that now, Todd, is you know this has been going on for a while, but we just saw this happen with Bill O'Reilly. Yep. Um, we we're seeing it uh, uh, happen with Rush Limbaugh. Where people have tried it. <laughs> Someone didn't like what I posted somewhere and said this guy is an a hole. He does a podcast. Let's all go after his advertisers. <laughs> like, okay. Let me know how that works out for you. This is, this is, and I'm, I'm all for it, by the way. I'm not against this kind of protest. I think this is a fantastic, the people of, I did a speech in Chicago in 2012 at the CUSP conference. And I, this was exactly what I was saying. I didn't even know that I was going to follow my own advice. 
is that, you know, we're discovering now that with the internet and with the efficiencies it brings, we can build, we don't need Apple to build us the next great phone. We don't. In fact, I, I just jumped in on a Kickstarter the other day, which is a secondary screen for your phone. It's such a simple idea, you know, because you have, a, if, let's just say you're in the Apple world, you have an iPhone, you have an iPad. And the Apple does a lot to synchronize the, the data on those two devices. You got your iCloud, which really introduces a security vulnerability and a, um, you know, the, the iCloud can go down. Some stuff can happen. It can get hacked. Another, a lot of things can happen. Uh, but they're, you know, they do a lot of work to synchronize these two devices. When really the difference is the form factor, uh, you, know, you get a different type of keyboard on the screen. Uh, it's just easier to hold in certain situations. People, some people replace their laptop with it, but you're buying another thousand dollar device. And someone said, Hey, that's dumb. Why don't I just come up with a screen that feels nice, has everything built into it, but really isn't a computer. It's just doing a screencast from your phone, which is where you have all your stuff anyway. And it's connected already. And it, then there could be 99 bucks. Now this is a product that Apple will not make. Right. Why would they? They would rather sell you a $1,000 iPad. So now we have control through our pooling of money, through our pooling of resources. We can make these things. Uh, this is the exciting thing to me. This is really where, you know, we can, we can really organize and get things done. So when I see people going after advertisers because they don't like a broadcaster's message or whatever it is, I'm okay with that. It, that's the flaw in the system for, for how long now? Mm, what are we like 80 years? We've been in this, uh, you know, the, look, soap operas. They're called <laughs> soap operas because it was the soap companies who paid for them. That's right. That's how it started. And the soap operas, they totally from day one controlled the message. They controlled what was being said in those shows. This is still happening today. If you don't think that, the Norman Lear Foundation is not writing scripts to promote political agendas and, and other and otherwise you're wrong. So the control is, is still 100% there. Right. Um, and that can be broken by the audience. The arrogance of corporate media says, ah, that'll never happen, but it sure can. So I love, you know, I'm sad for Bill O'Reilly. I'm sad for Rush Limbaugh, uh, but who cares? This is great. What power, what power. And I can sit on the sidelines and say, ha ha, I don't have that problem. So uh, I, I think that, uh, that this is a very good development and we're going to see big changes in, well, I'll say 10 years. I've learned not to say next, next week, uh, but we'll see a lot of these big, it's a slow motion yep. collapse of corporate media. You look at all the radio jocks that are out of a job, you know, and they're, you know, all these. Yeah, like, like they were making, you know, the radio jocks make $37,000 <laughs> a year That's on average. Right. That's right. And it's horrible. It's horrible. So it's a, uh... It's, I, I think it's an exciting future. I have big hope and, you know, we're, we're going to continue to move forward. I, I, you know, from a growth standpoint, there's, you know, lots of content coming on, but, you know, the content is, uh, good content's going to rise to the top. And, but it, it, the main thing is it doesn't matter if your content's good or bad, you can do it. You can do it. And so what? No one can, no one cannot tell you you can't. Well, and, and I want to thank you, Todd, because you have been, from the beginning, you have been there. You have supported, I don't know how many thousands of shows coming on board, getting them all that they need within the, within the system that, that you created. 
Um, and I know that I know how hard it is to make money doing that to, you know, sustain yourself, or even just get the costs out of it. Um, you know, I commend you and thank you for your contribution because this industry would not be the same without you. Well, I appreciate that. And, uh, believe me, uh, every night that I go to sleep, I'm definitely looking okay. Payroll comes in two weeks. I got 13 people to make sure that make payroll and we're Holy do- crap. Yeah. 13 people. Oh, I yeah. wish you many employees, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, it's just, uh, you know, and, and we're blessed. So I, I have no reason to complain whatsoever. But uh, no, we're just going to continue to push. And a lot of people and a lot of other companies are doing the same. So it's fun. And, and I always told myself, if it quits being fun, I'm going to quit. And so far, yeah, it's still being, still being fun. But, Excellent. Excellent. Adam, thanks for your time. And uh, what's the best way? Well, you get so many emails, it's probably impossible to sort through, but what's, what's the key points for people to connect with you? And of course, small batch audio too. Yeah. Just Adam at Curry.com. I, I read all my own email. I, I, you know, I'm pretty good at catching stuff. A lot comes in, but if that's how it, that's, that's the easiest way, you and, know, it's a, it's where stuff is retained. You know, I, I like email. Uh, I don't like how many people abuse it, but I do like it in general. Uh, it's a great way to contact me. And it's easy to remember, adam at curry.com. And if you want to really listen to the best podcast in the universe, you got to subscribe to No Agenda. And uh, d- just go for five episodes. Trust me. It'll grow on you. It doesn't matter your political persuasion. You you guys are an equal opportunity basher across all spectrums. <laughs> we try. We try. And uh, it's the best produced podcast. Really, it really is. Okay. That's it. Everyone, that's the podfather. Adam, thank Thank you you so much. Thank you so much. Everyone, we'll see you next time on Podcast Legends.